It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Restoring order to your financial chaos. Retirement, investing, taxes. You've got financial questions, he's got financial answers. It's Brian Preston, the money guy. Hey guys, it's your host, Brian Preston. We're going to be talking about tips and tricks you should know about retirement savings, specifically 401ks. I'm going to even go a little deeper and um, talk about some unknown rules about 457s as well. So if you've got 401ks, 403bs, 457s, any really of the big retirement plans, we're going to be your source today. Um, before we get into that topic, I'd be, I'd probably get in a lot of trouble with Bo, who's sitting across the way from me, that the T-shirts are in, as you guys are well aware. And, oh, yeah. And I had some neighbors last night. It was swim practice for my oldest daughter. And like, okay, this is getting ridiculous. Are you dragging this thing out on purpose? And I've said, I promise what we're doing. What you guys don't realize is behind the scenes, we're working on the marketplace part of the website so that we can, you know, sell the shirts without any problem, not have any flaws or, you know, technical difficulties. We've also got a, a video commercial coming out, very similar, same um, videographer that did our, our, our past video, Mr. David Nobles. That should be coming out in the next week. So I promise we're not trying to drag this out just for the sake of it, but know that the Tightwad Nation is about to come alive and we got some really great shirts. And what I love about these shirts is I have a lot of ironic shirts and a lot of sci-fi shirts and kind of that geek chic type vibe that um, I'm trying to make this cool with as well, but I never get comments in public. I, I'm not kidding you. When you start wearing these tight wide shirts, you're going to get comments. And that's, that's the interesting thing I think you're going to find. So I'll leave it at that. By the way, if you don't know, you're on the money, you're listening. I should not on, but you're listening to the money guy show. It's money dash guy.com. Go out there and you can check out all of our social media contacts. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook as well as we got a brand new website redesign coming out probably in the next. Gabe, what do you think? In a week? Week? Two next weeks? few weeks, I think. Yeah. I like that. That covers us. Do it in money guy fashion, right. just in case. Well, today, just to let you guys also know, we're going to be covering everything. Kind of the motivation for today is I have a, a financial journalist that I enjoy reading her right. You know what what she writes up. Um, what's really cool about social media, especially Twitter, is that if you're a financial journalist, it's very easy to get your information out there these right. days. You just go on Twitter. They blast it out. I see it come across. I go, ooh, you know, I kind of, this is pretty cool. You know, I see what Dana's put out there. So Dana, her name, just in case you want to go check her out, is Dana Onspock. Um, hopefully I got that right. You know, I put the Spock no, I think, in there. I think you hit it there. Because here's the thing. Dana just today tweeted an article about what you should know, what you could learn from Captain Kirk for your retirement planning. So okay. she's not going to get offended if I put a Spock at the end not. of her name because she, she's mentioning Captain Kirk in one of her other tweets. So we ought to be in pretty good shape. But her two articles I'm going to focus on today are seven things I wish people knew about 401k plans. I'm going to put my own little flavor on that. And then we've also, she's got it, I thought it, because I thought it dovetailed quite nicely. It was the seven to-dos between 55 and 65 for a better retirement. So Dana's, she's always doing these seven lists. And okay. I kind of like that. You know, some people have the lucky Holy Trinity. Seven, right? She has lucky number seven, unless you're playing the game of craps and a number's been set. You know, seven is usually a pretty good number. So um, let's start off with, with Dana's seven things that she wishes people knew about 401k plans. And she came out with this on, on May 19th. And here's the first part. It says, you can roll over when you leave. Okay. 
That is true. A lot of people probably, you know, now you guys are money guy listeners. You're going beyond common sense. You guys realize when you leave an employer, it might be in your best interest to probably move those assets out. Um, and how come? Well, a lot of us, a lot of the retirement plans. Okay, let's just say it this way. Sometimes small retirement plans, especially with small businesses, they are set up um, with your boss's golf buddy. Okay. And they might not have the best products. You know, it's probably not going to be a Vanguard or a Fidelity or a Schwab or something that has a, a big list of options with a lot of index funds, ETFs. So not a super low-cost plan is what you're saying. Yeah, it might be. It might have a, you know, there's a reason that your boss is playing golf with this guy. And you might only have, what, maybe 15, 20 choices in there that you and, get to invest in? And they might in? all be large cap. Okay. You know, because it's not uncommon. We come across 401k plans where you'll see a, you know, stable value choice, which is your cash equivalent. You'll have a bond fund. You'll have a... um large cap or something that says growth in the title and then an international and then they'll throw in some crazy things right you know just to see if you're you're on you know paying attention and throw like biotech right you know or some crazy thing that you know some sector investment and then that's it so you you might not have the greatest robust fund selections with your 401k plus if you leave not on great terms do you really want to every time you need to get access to your money do you want to have to call your old employer now, it does not mean everybody should roll their money out. There are exceptions. Um, we'll get into that with some of these others. But please realize all plans, 401k plans and 403b plans, allow rollovers to an established IRA account. Usually a check is made payable to the new financial institution. Just make sure this is the part. Whenever people hear about a check being cut, I know I get nervous, especially coming from a retirement account because you don't want to pay all the taxes and penalties. As long as they're made payable with FBO for benefit of and do a trustee to trustee type transfer, you're going to be great. But it's not uncommon that, you know, because I tell that to people and they're like, oh, gosh, if the check's sent to me, I'm going to get taxes. Not necessarily. It's not uncommon. Sometimes these custodians do send the check to you as long as it's got the new custodian, FBO, meaning for benefit of your name. Usually you're going to be okay. You just got to quickly get it in so to the new trustee. And then you'll get a nice 1099R at the end of the year showing that it's a, a rollover. And your tax preparer will be able to get that straightened out for you. Um, number two, I like this one because we give this advice. Matter of fact, I was on the phone earlier today with somebody calling about one of our retirement plans that we, we give advice on. It says, number two, automated portfolios work. It says, most, most 401k plans today offer either a fund choice or an online interactive tool that will make the investment decisions for you. What it's talking about is target retirement funds. That sounds like a little bit like the Money Guy Echo. We we talk about all the time, you know, Vanguard has their target retirement funds, Fidelity has their freedom funds, Schwab has their funds. I mean, most of your big custodians these days now have these asset allocation funds that will do a, a pretty decent job of some of the asset allocation. Now, and how do they work? Well, th- what they do is you choose the year that you think you want to retire or at least be financially independent. And say it's say it's a 2030 fund. You choose 2030. Every year you get closer to 2030, that fund is getting a little bit more conservative. It's changing the mix between stocks, bonds, cash to make it a little bit more conservative. And, and it, you can imagine a 2030 fund is going to be completely different than a 2015 fund because it's going to be much more aggressive than that 2015 fund. Um, I tell people all the time, these funds are not only limited just for retirement savings. It's not uncommon saving for college. 
you know, choose the year that you think your child will be a freshman in college as the year that you, you know, is your retirement date. And they can be, you know, you can use these target retirement funds also for college planning. I think they're really good choices. The advice I give people is I think if you're under $250,000 in assets, no brainer whatsoever. Um, when you get into larger asset levels, I do think it makes more sense to then start incorporating what are your taxable assets doing? What are your, you know, tax deferred, your tax free? And that's probably when you want to bring in somebody who can help you kind of bring it all together to so make sure you got one big pizza pie working together instead of having everything doing, acting as their own little independent right. agents. So that, that's a, that's a great thing. So I completely agree with Dana when she talks about use those automated funds. Um, you also, I'm always surprised. It's okay if you just have one fund choice. I think sometimes I'm, I'm amazed when we go through 401k applications after we do an enrollment meeting and somebody will put, I want 25% in the 2015 fund. I want another 25% in the 2020 fund. And then I want another, you know, 25% in the I mean, it's all, I, I kind of recommend just, it's okay to choose one fund. I think sometimes people feel like, hey, I need to have four, five, six funds. You don't have to. You can choose one fund if it's if it's one of these, you know, tiered funds. It's got all kind of diversification already built into them. Um, I I think it also helps. I promise we'll get past number two really quickly after this. But I can't help but pick on my sister in law. I remember my sister in law asked me to look at her four hundred one k choices, and um, I looked at her choices and I said. Um, I don't want to say her name, but I said, um, what, what was your criteria on, on choosing this allocation? She says, I chose every fund that had growth in it. Well, why wouldn't you do that? That's <laughs> what you want. She says, I wanted my, I wanted my account to grow. So I just chose every fund that had the word growth in it. And I was like, okay, that's solid. a, it's a solid. solid choice. Another one that I always pick on is that it's funny to me when we have somebody come in the door. And you can tell when they started working for companies based upon their investment choices. Yeah, um, it, you can tell somebody started at a, you know, back in the early 2000s when you see all these technology funds as, the, as their primary choices. Um, you can, I mean, it's crazy. You can see utility choices. I mean, it, you can tell when people started and what was the hot dot to be chasing at the time. Don't do that. That's why we like some of these automated portfolios can be your your best friend. Number three, stable value funds are a good choice. Um, this is what Dana wrote. She says, as you get closer to retirement, you'll you'll want some of your retirement money in safe investment options. Stable value funds, funds which are offered within many 401k plans, are a good choice. Today, they're paying higher interest rates than bank savings. They won't fluctuate like stock funds, and unlike bond funds, they shouldn't go down in your value, in value if interest rates rise. These, a lot of people don't realize, stable value are very unique. They're usually, you see them in, you know, in insurance products or retirement type plans. And they are good. I was talking to somebody earlier this week. Um, and it wasn't one of the plans we managed. It was just a family friend. And I, I pulled up on the website their 401k choices and they did have indeed a stable value fund that was paying 1.75%. Wow. Well, when you compare cash at your bank, it's probably less than a quarter of a percent. And even the high yield money markets that you see out there in the marketplace, a good one is paying 0.85%. Mm-hmm. So to get, you know, over two times what you could get with a, a high yielding internet money market, 
is pretty solid for cash. because It's actually not too far off what the 10-year treasury is playing, and you don't have to lock your money up for 10 years to get it. It's exactly right. So so stable value funds for your a portion of your portfolio are not bad. I, I did like how, because Dana, the, by the way, that doesn't mean, because this is the other thing I get frustrated with when I look at people's retirement options when I'm doing 401k um, enrollment meetings. If you're 30 years old or 35 years old and you're nervous about the future, I, I get frustrated when I see young people buying, you know, super conservative portfolios, buying the stable value. And then you ask them, hey, what are you doing? And they're like, well, I'm afraid the market's going to go down. What? Like, how old are you? When are you going to retire? You're not going to retire until you're 65. And you're worried when you're 35, uh, the market's going to go down in the next year or two. You need to hope it goes down, to yeah. be honest with you. I mean, one of the best things that happen when you're young, believe me, I don't want this to happen, but I'm just telling you from a mathematical calculation standpoint, while you're contributing on a monthly basis, it's not bad if things are either flat or declining while you're accumulating assets. And then you're hoping for a really big run up in that last 10 years before you retire, because all those assets will have compounded. You'll be bought those dollar cost average into low cost shares. And then as it shoots up in value at the end, you'll make more money. So don't let that trap you. But I do think because I, I do think Dana has a great point for people close to retirement, and that's what Dana's focusing on. She says, how much should you keep in your safe choice? It depends on how close you are to retirement and how much you'll need to withdraw. For example, if you're retiring in two years and you know you'll need to retire, tw- pull out $20,000 a year once you're retired, you ought to consider moving at least your first two to three years of future withdrawals into a safe investment option. In this example, that would be forty to $60,000. I think that's a very... Very valid recommendation. And the reason that's a great timing, take it back to 2007, 8, 9. People started freaking out after we had the Bear Stearns, the Lehman Brothers, and that stuff. You know, they started getting the phone calls because CNBC and all the nightly news was talking about, you know, oh gosh, are your banks, are they going to be safe? And remember, these people like at Lehman Brothers, they didn't lose money on their actual holdings. They lost money if you owned Lehman Brothers. But you didn't lose on the assets that were actually custodied at Lehman Brothers. But a lot of people still panicked, and they were freaking out. And to protect yourself from the psychology of pulling out of things at the world's worst time, if you're close to retirement because there's enough risk when you do retire that it changes the way you think about things, have some liquidity. Sure. Have a year to two, maybe even three years, exactly what Dana says, so that you can make that transition into retirement and not be so scared. Because it is, I, I tell people all the time, Bo's heard me say it, you will feel a, ri- a, a kind of a, a risk and a fear that you've never had. Because what happens now if you're working and the market goes down, you're like, oh, crud, I guess I just need to work an extra two or three years. I'll wait it out. The market will recover. I'll be okay. It gives you some comfort knowing that you still are employed and you have money coming in. The day after you retire and your job is filled by somebody else, now if the market goes down 15, 20, 25%, even 30%, you're going to go, oh, my goodness. I'm at the mercy of what my assets are doing. So that's why diversification and liquidity can be your best friend. Um, number four, I thought this one was good, and I'm going. This is where I get to throw and go a little deeper with it. Age 55 is special. Oh yeah, and this is something I think it is a very good point, and you'll you'll quickly be able to tell if your advisor is good and knows a lot of the tax provisions with the retirement savings, or if they're just a product salesman. Because she goes on and she says most people think that if they take a withdrawal from a 401k plan before age 59 and a half, a 10% early withdrawal penalty will apply. 
This isn't always true for 401k plans. There's a special provision in 401k plans for people who leave their employer after they reach the age of 55, but before they reach the age of 59 and a half. This rule allows you to take withdrawals that are exempt from the penalty tax without having to use the substantially equal payment provision. So let me break this down because that had a lot in it in that one paragraph. A lot of people don't realize when you retire or you leave a company after the age of 55, you can start taking withdrawals and it doesn't have to be equal substantial payments. You can just do it, say you need 25000 this year, fifteen next year, thirty the following year. If you keep the money at the 401k with your employer, you can pull that money out. You still go owe the income taxes, but you will not be subject to the 10% early withdrawal period. I mean, penalty that's out there because you're under the age of 59 and a half. That we've done this with clients. I think it is a smart planning provision. So if you think you're going to need access to money between 55 and 59 and a half, this is going to be your best friend. And let us tell you, taking even a step further, a strategy that we've done <clears throat> with clients in the past, you know, they retire early around 55 years old. We'll actually roll some of those assets over and just leave enough in that stable value fund to fund those three or four years, whatever the donut hole we yep. have left is. So you can kind of get a best of both worlds approach, uh, a rollover and leaving money behind that you can pull off of. That's a great planning, and we, we've done it many, many times for a lot of our clients. Another thing, and this is where I was going to go a step further, we're talking about 401ks and 403b type plans, but it's not uncommon if you're a government employee that you also have access to a 457 plan. I love, if you know you're going to retire early, 457 plans are your friend because they don't have the 59 and a half provision in them. Uh, meaning that if you keep the money at the 457, so if you're in the military or in something with government, you, you can even be a municipality. They, it's not uncommon to see these at, you know, with county employees and so forth. You can take that money and leave it there. And if you retire, let's say 50, 51, 52, you can start pulling money out. And it's going to be penalty-free. Still go have income taxes. Right. I don't want anybody to think you're getting out of income taxes. But it will be penalty-free. So some really good planning choices there. Um, number five. <laughs> Bo, you're going to like this one because it makes me think of somebody. We've been telling them they need a 401k for years, and they just haven't done it. You have creditor protection. Oh, yeah. I pick on uh, – there's a group of attorneys – that are, you know, you think attorneys. What, what, what are most of, if you, I, I, I did an investment club years and years ago, back when investment clubs were cool because there was these older ladies who were flying around on private jets because they had made so much money in their investment club. Um, probably before you, you were looking at investments, Bo, but this was the whole hot rage back in the nineties. I can remember these, these investment clubs and I was in one. And one of the things that, I always used to pick on people about was, is don't hurt yourself by trying to save a few bucks. So, you know, and, and when you're in these investment clubs and other things, who typically is the most concerned about all the risk that you have to have the document written right because you, everybody can get sued. It's usually the, the attorneys. attorneys cause they're the ones who know the CD underbelly of the law world. So right? I, you know, I was in an investment club and <clears throat> these attorneys about ruined the whole thing. Cause they had us all worried that we're all going to get sued. We're going to be fighting with each other. Well, it cracks me up that we have people we've talked to trying to convince them, Hey, 
why you should like 401ks is they are creditor protected. Because here's what Dana says. Your 401k plans are creditor protected by law. This is why it can be foolish to use 401k money to avoid foreclosure, pay off debt, or start a business. In the case of future bankruptcy, your 401k money is a protected asset. Don't touch your 401k money except for retirement. There's one famous example that you always use when we have client meetings. I've got it written down. Right oh, that's here. look, I'm reading your notes. I'm not even. It's also at your because notes. he lived down in Florida for a while too. Now he's back. I think he's he might be getting out of jail soon. But OJ Simpson, I think I think he's in there for a while. I think is he still in jail? I, yeah. Oh yeah, he's definitely still in there. Okay. Well, OJ Simpson after the civil case. I'm not talking about the criminal side of of his wife, his wife and the other guy, but the civil case. OJ Simpson lost a very large wrongful death case, mm-hmm. and um basically paid him millions and millions of dollars to the families of the victims. Well, people were always shocked when they'd see that O.J. Simpson was still out there playing golf every day, still had a house down in Florida. They're like, how in the world could this guy who just had a verdict for millions and millions of dollars still be living this lifestyle? 401ks and pensions are your best friend in this because ERISA plans are creditor-protected. So if you have assets, you know, even though he has this big settlement, they could get access to it as it gets distributed out to him, but he's protected to a large degree. So that's why I'd be very careful. That's why I'm always picking on my attorney friends. If you have a small law practice, you make enough money, have a 401k because it's, it's going to make you that much safer from creditors. Um, number six, designated Roth accounts are great. We oh, love yeah. this. We love it. This is, you know, I think everybody does this pretty much now. I remember, you know, five, six years ago, it was, you had to go beg your employer, hey, add a Roth option. It doesn't really, co- I don't think the administrators are charging anything extra. Just give us younger people an option. I think I see them more and more often. Do we deal with a lot of plans? Any? I know all the plans we implement have a Roth right. option, but I think most of the plans, even for our clients that we're just helping them out. They're coming around. The ones that don't have it are plans that were established back you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, and they've just never updated. That golf buddy. That golf buddy. That's so here's, here's what Dana said. It said, more and more 401k plans are offering the ability to make a Roth contribution. In a 401k plan, this is called a designated Roth account. Such contributions, unlike regular 401 contributions are not tax deductible, but they grow tax-free and in retirement, your withdrawals will be tax-free. Here's the thing. Say you make enough money that you exceed the Roth provision. So that's like 170, 180, somewhere around that number. Yeah, I mean, we got into that last show. I think it was close to 190. We'll just leave it at that, Gabe, so we don't have to have you scrambling around looking numbers up. But anyway, when you that's a married couple, by the way. When you get to those numbers... You can no longer do Roth IRA accounts. Now, you can do conversions, and I had somebody wrote, wrote me an email asking, we don't get into Roth conversions discussion. Just outside the scope of that episode. There's just a lot more going on with that. But nonetheless, they are great. Anybody, no matter what your income threshold is, you can do Roth contributions up to the full maximum, 17.5 if you're under 50, and then even above that if you're over 50. What a great thing. Let these things grow completely tax-free. So, and then think about the fact that when you turn 70 and a half and some of the special planning you can do from an estate planning standpoint, it really is incredible what you can do with these Roth accounts. And it's not an all or nothing. I have people that are right on that cusp of going into a higher tax rate. You can mix and match these accounts. It's not uncommon to see people doing 
10000 into a traditional 401k, and then maybe they're doing $7,500 into the Roth 401k investment option. You can do that. They sub-account it so that those, those are, that money is separated. Still can we go and be invested in the exact same investment choices, but it can also be sorted out for special tax treatment. Yep. Plus, it allows you to have some tax diversification when you do hit that retirement period, when you're trying to figure out, do I pull from my tax-free money, do I pull from my tax-deferred, or do I pull from my taxable money, depending upon the tax policy. Great, great planning choices dealing with these Roth accounts. So check with your employer, see if you have that, especially for my younger listeners. If you're young and you're not taking advantage of these Roth things, I think you're missing out. I think it's funny. I just processed our payroll, and everybody's doing Roths except for me pretty much. Well, you said it's good for young people, right? Okay. Touche. Touche. <laughs> but what y'all could not hear in the background was the gasp of air that came out from everybody else in here listening. So that is what it is. Last thing, and then I want to move on to one other article really quickly, is company stock may have a special tax treatment. But walk us through what a net unrealized appreciation, or NUA, is. And I know we don't see them as much, but tell us your yeah, thoughts. Yeah, it's, it's not as often that we see it, but essentially what happened is if over the years your company awards you stock uh, – via the retirement plan or via some sort of retirement mechanism, they would actually offer you favorable tax treatment when you get to retirement and take distributions. If you think about, essentially, say you were given you know, $100,000 of company stock and now it's worth $200,000, and you go to take that distribution, when you take it, if you keep the stock, you only have to pay uh, ordinary income on that $100,000. On what your cost basis. On what your cost basis right. was in it. Uh, and then, assuming certain holding periods are met, you can actually recognize capital gains on the gain. Whereas normally in a retirement plan, it's ordinary income on everything. So they just allow you to kind of split it out when it has to do with company stock. And you have to take a lump sum. There's some other provisions. Right. There's some other rules that have to be met. Way outside the scope of probably, we don't want to get too much into the details, but still, nonetheless, great planning opportunity. So if you do have some of that stock within your 401k. You don't see it as much, and probably you don't see it as much because of 2008 when you had such a collapse in the financial markets, and a lot of people who had those concentrated portfolios really got crushed. And so it's kind of frowned upon. I think a lot of the political environments at these big corporations kind of changed a little right. bit after that. Um, I had another Dana piece that I wanted to put out there. It's the seven to-dos between 55 and 65 for a better retirement. I wanted to go through this because I thought some of this was even an all-ages type announcements, even though Dana had titled it 55 to 65. The first thing, well, first she had a Roy Disney. It's not Walt, but Roy, you know, Walt's brother Roy had a quote says, when your values are clear, your decisions are easy. And remember, Roy is one of the guys, really big inspiration on fulfilling a lot of Walt's desires with the Walt Disney World Project. But it talks about prioritizing values. Time and money are often interchangeable. This is number one. You may be able to retire earlier, giving you more free time, but the trade-off might entail living on less. For some of you, this is an acceptable trade-off. For others, it isn't. Now's the perfect time to go deep. In other words, all Dana's saying here is kind of know what you're looking for. If, if you're miserable in your day-to-day job, and maybe you, you've decided you want to retire between 60 to 65, but you hate going to work, you wake up on Sunday and you start chewing your fingernails, and you go, I cannot believe I only have one more day before I go back to work. You know, reevaluate your situation. Maybe you can do something different. You can go work a job that pays you a little bit less, but spend, you know, and, and not start getting into your retirement assets. But you, you also might have to change some lifestyle choices. Right. That's all she's saying is figure out what your values are and, and make a plan. Now, if you're one of these people, you know you need to be able to spend 
and you, you want to live lifestyle, a life a certain way in retirement, you might have to work an extra two years. Know your net worth. I thought this was an all-age recommendation. I did love how she put this, though. Listen how she let you get a visual bow when because we just did this over the weekend. Have you ever had to have you ever had to watch yourself on video? It's an uncomfortable feeling. <laughs> and same thing with audio, by the way. The first time I started listening, you know, I heard my audio voice. I was like, man, I'm southern. And who is that? Who's that country who's, guy? Who's talking? that country guy? It's exactly anybody from the south. When we watch ourselves, we don't realize how thick our accents are until we actually hear or see ourselves on video. But it's, it goes on. This is what Dana says. Is, if you ever had to watch yourself on video, it's an uncomfortable feeling. Anyone who's in the entertainment field has to overcome this discomfort and learn to watch themselves over and over. This is how they improve. The same discipline works for your finances. It can be uncomfortable to take an objective look at how much you have, how much you save, and how much you spend. If you want to improve this, it's a necessity. I started this practice years ago when I embarked on an effort to get out of debt. I tracked my remaining credit card balances every single month. It was a powerful motivator to watch them go down. I also liked how Dana put it out for retirement. She says, for retirement, tracking starts with a net worth statement. This is a list of what you own minus what you owe. You want to update it each and every year. As an advisor, it's fun to go back and look 10 years and show your clients their net worth statements then versus now. People are often surprised by how much progress they've made. You won't know unless you track it. And I've been telling you guys, this is always one of my New Year's resolution things we do at the end of the year when we're telling you what you need to be doing in the upcoming year to get your financial house in order. Another one of those echoes is I love doing net worth statements. I Actually, Bo and I, and I think I got Gabe and Carol working on it here in the offices too. We practically high five at the end of the year when we get to do the net worth statement because it is fun. You get to see what things are changing. You get to see how much debt you paid down. You get to see how much your retirement assets went up. A lot, a lot of fun. And it is cool. I'm doing, we have our firm retreat coming up. I'm doing some planning, not only for the, for my individual, but for their business as a whole, because we're trying to plan the next five years for the firm. It's fun to look back at the last 10 yep. years of the firm growth. So you can do this on your own because don't fool yourself. You as an individual are a business. And if you're not tracking and getting some type of visualization for where you want to be, you won't take yourself there. Um, that's why we have whiteboards. That's why these net worth statements. It's amazing what the subliminal mind will do if you give it a vision of where it wants to be and where it needs to be. And there's some accountability. You'll change your world. Absolutely. You really, really will. Number three, estimate benefits. We won't spend a ton of time on this, but it says Social Security offers financial features that cannot be purchased in the open market. It's because they're government-based. Right. It says take advantage of this. The earliest age you can claim is 62 but you get a powerful boost if you wait and claim later. This is also really big if you have a spouse, lots of planning opportunities. There's websites out there too deep to get into on this show. But if you're getting close to that age where you have to make that determination of when do you take Social Security, don't sell yourself short and just take the 62. That's still It might be a good choice for you, but you need to go make sure you do your homework before you just grab it and take it. Number four, get a handle on health care. And I liked how Dana laid this out. She goes, too many people think Medicare will cover most of the health care costs once they reach age of 65. That's wrong. On average, Medicare costs about 50% of your health care. The 50% that you pay will include Medicare premium B premiums, which are means tested. Believe me, we have clients that complain about that all the time because as your income in retirement is up, those premiums go up mm-hmm. substantially. It says, meaning the more income you have, the more you pay. A supplemental policy might be necessary, long-term care. And then what are you going to do about dental care, eye care, hearing, co-pays, deductibles, et cetera? Her, her recommendation was, 
When I run retirement expense projections, I typically estimate about $10,000 a year for health care. Okay. Um, so, you know, not a bad choice. Number five, make an income timeline. I saw that and I was like, income timeline? What is she talking about? Bo, she's talking about arena. Oh. When Bo started working here, we now we've moved on, you know, bought some new technology got some, and things. Got a little more sophisticated. Yeah, a little more sophisticated. But when we started, we used to do just Excel spreadsheets, and we came up with a fancy name. Oh, and they, they were nasty. Though. For those of you that are spreadsheet with macros. Ner- those of you that are spreadsheet nerds out there, you would have loved these bad boys because they were dirty. Um, but Rena represented retirement income needs analysis. So Rena sounded, you know, so internally had a little internal acronym there. But a future, she calls it a future timeline can be organized by month or by year for retirement projections yearly is best. For budgeting, it works monthly best. Right. So I, I, what she's talking about here is basically when you're going to go getting closer to retirement, that 55 to 65 year period, you can even do it sooner. It's just that realize when you're doing straight Excel projections, where you're using state, you know, straight line projection of growth and so forth and increases in your expending. If you're, if you're going past 10 years, it's still very helpful as a planning tool, but know that the, the interest rates become, you know, really have a bigger and bigger impact on, on how well things do. Yeah. And the other thing that we do is, you know, generally we'll do projections to a hundred or 105 years old, you know, something like that. And maybe a client wants to buy a new car every five years. Well, odds are you're probably not buying new cars at 90, 95, and 100. But we still put them in the projection because, you know, it help, helps you know where you stand. But there, there is a lot of flex as you get further out on the timeline. I think, so for retirement planning, looking at it on an annual basis and thinking about those major purchases just like Bo, we also, it is fun to look at these things like if you're doing a 5- to 10-year plan, if you think you're going to do a, take the whole family to Australia. Maybe you've had this goal or you want to buy a lake home. Put those things into that annual analysis when you're looking at that retirement planning. I think when you're talking about the monthly budgeting planning, I found this when I was starting my company. Bo, I think you've even seen it. I came across my original five-year projection of what I had to do to grow the business, what I was going to be living off of on a monthly basis. Mm-hmm. I did it by month. It had growth projections in there. It, it, it Truly, this stuff, once again, helps you with the visualization of figuring out where you are and hold you accountable so that you can do it. Um, I've also dealt with charities, homeowners associations. Everybody typically does a monthly type budget. That's what she's talking about when she says do an income timeline. She's saying, hey, lay out how the money's going to come in and how it's going to be spent. It's going to give you a much better visual of where you stand. Number six, outline your options. She says there may be retirement possibilities you haven't even thought of. And I've already kind of hinted at this. I didn't mean to give away the punchline, but I went ahead and did it anyway. It says, perhaps substituting a lower-paying, lower-stress job for a few years would work. In many cases, this works if you stop contributing to savings during your lower earning years but won't start withdrawing yet. A transition to part-time work often works in the same way. And i got to tell you, we've, you know, around a lot of people have this vision that they're going to quit working at 55 years old. Right. I think they get closer to 55 and they go, do I really just want to quit doing anything? And the answer a lot of times is no. Mm -hmm. So it's not uncommon for us to see clients transition to different career goals or even just different fields. It's We have a client, I think it's so interesting, we've had clients who actually decide they're going to get out of doing the job they're doing 
They go start kind of a part-time business, and then five years later, they're making more money. Substantially with, more money than they did. More they money with their, their new career path than they did with what they did for 30 or 40 years this before This is the thing he was doing retirement. for fun on the side. So it's kind of funny to see. So you never know. Kind of dream, daydream a little bit, and, and figure out what your options are in retirement. Because maybe something that you think that, hey, I enjoy doing this as a part-time that I could probably make ten dollars to $15,000 who knows if you're really good at it and it sets you apart from everybody else? You might be making two, three, four hundred thousand dollars a year from it, just because I've seen crazier things happen. It is—it's funny how life works sometimes. Number seven: determine your level of engagement. This is a great way to close it out, and this is one of those things I was like, "Thank you, Dana, for giving us this talking point." Because it's, she says, determine your level of engagement. She says, "Are you going to do your own planning and investment management, or are you going to hire someone to do it for you?" Either way, you need to gain a basic understanding of how things change when you near retirement and what new risk you face. So Dana's talking exactly about that transition point that I was talking about earlier, is that you're going to feel a stress stress and pressure that you've never felt while you've been in the workforce. When you retire, you truly are relying upon what you've got coming in and what debt you have. And that's why I recommend people, hey, if you're going to be retired, be debt-free completely. There's nothing wrong with, I love how low mortgage rates are. I tell people, don't get in a huge hurry. I even had a relative ask me, do you want 15 or 30-year mortgages? I've always loved 15-year mortgages, but with interest rates being so low, and I noticed once again today... 2.44. I was yeah. going to tell you about it after. Yeah. Isn't that nuts? 10-year treasury. Now, we're doing this on Wednesday. Who knows what's going to be on Friday? But the 10-year treasury is once again below 2.5%. Ten year, remember, mortgages, 30-year mortgages are tied a lot to the 10-year treasury. Really, really interesting times we're in right now. I still think 10, 15 years from now, we're going to look back and go, can you believe we got mortgages as cheap as we did? So that's why I love paying off debt early. But I tell people, do a 30-year mortgage at these super low rates while the rates are below 4.5%. And you can still pay them off like a 15-year, but it gives you a little more flexibility with your resources and your assets. But try to have all debt paid for before you truly retire. Because when you walk through that threshold of retirement, you don't want to owe anybody anything. And you want to make sure that you have enough liquidity that you can weather out that 2007, 8, 9 time frame if it ever comes back around and we hit, get hit with something like that again. And I also liked how Dana brought up, if you're not going to be super engaged yourself, or if you are super engaged but your spouse isn't, it might not hurt to have a financial advisor in the background to help you out. We have brilliant, brilliant clients that I tell them all the time, you could do this for a living, but they hire us anyway because they're worried about, they like, first of all, they like bouncing ideas off of, especially when you get into heavy tax planning because in retirement, you do do a lot of tax planning, trying to figure out how it impacts your social security, how it, Roth conversions. There's so many different ways that taxes come into your retirement planning, but also because that spouse is worried about, I want to find somebody who's like-minded, who the, if I need to transition, maybe I'm you know not be able to do this for the rest of my life. My spouse will have somebody that I trust now to help with that transition point, and we really are a resource. And that's why if you're not going to be super engaged, or you are, but you still want to have somebody in the background, go talk to a financial advisor. I think it can't hurt. Um, a lot of times, most advisors will at least give you a, a consultation in the beginning for free just to kind of talk it out loud. I know we do that a lot mm -hmm. with people just to kind of, kind of get an understanding of where they are. But I thought Dana's recommendations, spot on, and um, really enjoy what she's doing. I'm sure we'll give her a tweet out after we get this show published. 
just so she knows that we're giving her some love, and, and hopefully you guys will go check her out as well. But check back with us. We're hoping in the next two weeks, this T-shirt campaign, we got a lot more a little further down the road with it, getting the video out there, getting the website, the Marketplace website up. Really, really excited for you guys to see these statement shirts. I know you've probably seen them if you're on Twitter. If you haven't, go pull up Twitter, Facebook. Go look at the pictures that we've already posted. Plus, you can see how muscular Bo is. Um, there's all kind of cool things that you probably want to go grab with that. Money-guy.com. I'm your host, Brian Preston. If you want to write us, I'm Brian, B-R-I-A-N, at money-guy.com. Or you can write the muscly one, Mr. Bo, Bo, at money-guy.com. We'll talk to you in about two weeks. The Money Guy podcast is hosted by Brian Preston, and Brian Preston is a partner with Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management is a registered investment advisory firm regulated by the Securities and Exchange Commission in accordance and compliance with securities laws and regulations. Preston and Cleveland Wealth Management does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through the Money Guy podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment, or legal advice. (laughs) 